This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead, and this is the Austin Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, we have Joel Fine on, a multifamily syndicator in the Austin area, and he's going to tell us all about how he's making real estate work for him in the Austin area. Hey, Joel, how are you? I'm great, Jordan. How are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for coming on here. I know we see each other all the time at the, uh, the Tuesday Commercial Investors Lunch here in Austin, and we have some mutual friends, but... I'm really excited to get you on. Really quick, could you tell us who you are and how you're involved with real estate investing in the Austin area? Absolutely. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Thanks for having me on. So, uh, yeah, I, I live uh, just north of Austin in a town called Leander. Moved here a couple of years ago. My background is actually in high tech. I was trained as an engineer in college, uh, worked as an engineer for a, a few years, then as a project manager and a program manager for various IT companies. Um, lived in California in Silicon Valley, um, started doing real estate on the side several years ago, uh, and uh, basically fell in love with it. Um, started with small stuff, the single family, some duplexes, some triplexes, um, learned about syndication early on in my investing journey, and uh, started shifting that way, uh, first as a passive, and then later as a sponsor in deals. And we can get into the, that trans transition uh, but I guess another element of my background, like I said, I was in California for many years working as an engineer, decided uh, about two, two and a half years ago to uh, shift my focus. So I left my W-2 job and left California at about the same time a couple of years ago and came to Austin. So I moved to Austin. My wife and I moved together. And uh, now we, we live in the area and we invest in the area. Love it. So, you know, you talked about you started off with smaller projects and also passive investing. Did one come before the other? Did you start passive investing first and then you started with the smaller projects or was it vice versa? No, I started with the, uh, the smaller projects, the single family and the duplexes. Um, I, I guess I came in with this limiting belief that anything I did, I had to be able to do on my own. So mm -hmm. I was going to buy a property. I would have to come up with the entire down payment. Now, of course, I'd have the bank help me out with a loan, but um, you know, I'd, I'd have to come up with say 25% of the purchase price of whatever it is I bought. And it wasn't until a little ways in, maybe a few months when, um, as I was uh, educating myself on real estate investing in general and kind of drilling down on various topics that I learned about the syndication model. And that was a real epiphany for me, a real eye-opener when I discovered syndication. Um, and understood how it could allow me to scale up and do things that were substantially larger than, than I could swing on my own. Um, finally realized, hey, I can, I can buy a, a significant property, let's say an apartment complex uh, valued at, at multiple millions of dollars, and I don't have to come up with the 25% down payment on my own. I can partner up with not only uh, co-GPs, co-general partners, but other limited partners who can invest passively and the combination uh, can be really powerful. It can bring a lot of assets to bear collectively to take down an asset uh, 
and uh, and scale up very quickly. Love it. And I think it's so easy to think that everybody just gets up to the point of they're buying these bigger projects. So they're doing a lot of projects on their own. The reality is it seems to me that typically people figure out how to team up, whether you're you're buying lots of small properties or you're, you're getting into the larger properties, absolutely need a team. Um, so you said you started passive investing as a limited partner before you started buying these bigger projects on your own. What did that look like and what did that transition look like? And I think just to disclose, I'm more curious for myself. I'm doing some passive investing right now. I'm doing a lot of small projects with a business partner and I just want to hear more about how that transition took place for you. Yeah. So initially it was almost like a, an element of my education. I was trying to learn everything I could about real estate investing. And when I learned about syndication, I thought, well, this is an interesting idea. I don't know whether it's going to work for me and I don't know what I would want my role to be in syndication. So um, the obvious way in is as a passive investor, uh, I was attending meetups at the time. This was back when I was in California and I was going to a regular meetup hosted by a group of four people who were syndicating deals from California, but in Dallas. They had done maybe four or five deals already. And they talked about those deals on a pretty regular basis in the meetups. And the you know next deal that came along for them, they talked about it. And I thought, okay, why not? I'll, I mean, I'll put in $50,000. Uh, that's not a small amount of money. That's significant. But for me, it was affordable. I had fairly substantial savings from a reasonably long career in high tech. And so it wasn't going to break the bank for me to, to try that. I wouldn't call it an experiment, but it definitely was a, a piece of my education. And it was something that where I didn't feel like, okay, I know exactly how this is going to turn out. It was more like, let me find out about this. Let me, let me learn as much as I can about syndication through this investment. And I actually talked to the, the folks who were running the, the syndication since like I said, I've been attending their meetup and got them to let me dial into their weekly calls with their property manager. Oh. So they were, they were asset managing uh, and they were managing the property manager. So once a week, they would have a one hour call where they'd go through uh, the key metrics like vacancies and rent collected and delinquencies. And then also talk about any concerns, you know, trash, graffiti, um, skips, uh, evictions. Uh, they had, staff turnover. I mean, this was a property in a, in a C neighborhood. Um, and so they had some challenges with the tenants. They had some challenges with the property manager. And, uh, and it was good that they had those challenges because I could, I could watch. I, once a week, I would dial into those calls. I'd put myself on mute for an hour and I would just listen. Mm -hmm. And again, that, for me, that was an education. It was a really valuable education, partly because I was learning what these guys were doing, but also partly because it helped me develop confidence. I was as I was watching them, I was thinking, hey, I, I could do this. The skills they're bringing to bear really aren't that exotic. And they're very similar to what I'd been doing as a program manager in high tech, Manage, managing programs uh, and managing, um, uh, managing a, a, an asset uh, are, is very similar. It's, you know, the, the skills involved are not that different. And, and so I felt confident after having dialed into those, those calls on a weekly basis, hey, I can try this, I can do this and, and you know, be part of this. And, and so, you know, I, it wasn't immediate. It wasn't like oh, overnight, hey, I, I know I can do this. And so that was the first of my, my passive investing. Um, I ended up doing, I think it was a total of a dozen passive investments 
oh, wow. before I did my first deal as a GP. Um, and that was not by accident. That was, hey, I really want to understand this business and understand the model and how it works. And then once I develop that understanding, then I can be confident. I, I can, you know, bring a deal to other people as investors. Um, and I can tell them to be passive and feel comfortable taking their money and having them entrust me with it. I, I really wanted to be confident and, and educated and knowledgeable as much as I could before I jumped in myself. Okay. So you found these, this first group of syndicators going to their meetup. So uh, I think that's a great way to get to know people. I, I, I do a little bit of passive investing myself. I love to, to see how those people operate, see what they talk about. Um, just get to know the person a little bit before I even consider investing passively with them. But that's, that's amazing. You did 12 before you went out and did it on your own. So if, if somebody listening to this episode is thinking, Hey, you know, I want to get into, into apartment syndications or, or larger property syndications, because you can syndicate a lot of different stuff. Um, are you, would you recommend that they do some deals on their own? Maybe they buy a few single families, do a little bit of passive investing on their own, or do you think you took, took the slow route and the, it seems like you took a really conservative route and I, I respect that, but would you recommend that somebody else do that? Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, everybody's got to come up with the answer for themselves mm -hmm. in hindsight, you know, with perfect 2020 vision. I could say, yeah, I probably could have done all of that a little faster. Okay. Um, but I don't regret what I did. I, I, I'm sure. glad that I took it at a, uh, at a careful pace, uh, being very conscious and deliberate about each step I took. And, and just to clarify something, you, you described it as, hey, I did 12 investments before I went out on my own and did, did my own. But really, even after that, it wasn't on my own. I partnered up with other folks. Mm -hmm. But then I was on the, on the GP side, on the sponsorship side. So, in fact, I've, I've never done a syndication deal on my own as such. I've always partnered up with other co-GPs, mm -hmm. and together we bring to bear a collection of skills and background and knowledge and ideas that helps to make those, the deals go better. Um, and so, you know, finding great partners and, and working with them has been, I think, one of the keys to my path forward, to my ability to, to scale up. And that's something I would definitely encourage folks who are looking to get into the business to, to consider is find ways to partner up. Don't be afraid to, to partner up. Don't think you have to do it yourself. And even as a beginner, you can partner up in a very small way. But if you can find a way to add value, whether that's writing a check for $50,000 or, uh, you know, finding a deal or visiting a property on once a week for the, for the syndicator, I mean, just find some way to add value to a deal. Don't worry too much about the financial returns on that first deal. Focus on how you're building your, your credentials, your education, your skill set, um, and your reputation. And just, you know, let it take it from there, you know, be, be as aggressive as you can in getting into deals, but, but don't stress about whether you're making a particular number of dollars or own a particular percentage of a deal. Think more in terms of how does this deal contribute to your, your next step and the path you want to take. Yeah. I love what you said there too, about don't focus on owning a particular percentage of a deal. Um, so it took me a long time to get into my first partnership. 
I didn't get into my first partnership until December 2020. I started investing in December of 2016. I bought a few properties in between 2016 and 2020. From December of 2020 to today, not even a year and a half, we've purchased 25 properties. Um, just with one partner who has different skills than I do, he's a lot better at a lot of different things that I'm just not very good at. And I'm good at some things that he's not good at. So just as simple as that, it's made our progress be that much quicker. And every group of syndicators that I see or every general partnership that I see, there's never one guy. And I don't think I would want to invest with, with one guy who's running the whole deal. It's a couple people and they're all good at different things and they all make sure that, that everything goes smoothly. Um, so I really like that too. Yeah, I, I love that approach. I mean, even if somehow you could be good at everything, mm -hmm. if you tried, if you, if you did it on your own, you'd probably go a lot slower than if you yeah. drilled down and focused and, and developed some specialized skills and things that you're really good at and then find somebody else who could fill those gaps. The combination of you know two or three of you will do more than two or three times the number of deals you could have done on your own. So you know, be be open to partnership is kind of the fundamental advice I would I would give to people. Yeah, and but be careful on who you partner with too, and make sure everything's in writing. Um, I've known my business partner on the the company that I'm talking about where we scaled so quickly for most of my life. We still put everything in writing. You know, we weren't mm -hmm. going to leave it to chance that things went well. Um, there's a quote, and hopefully you can help me with this. If you want to go, I, and I'm missing the word here, but if you want to go far, go together. So essentially saying, hey, you know, if you if you want a lot, if you want 100% of every deal, do it by yourself. And, and yeah, you'll be happy and you'll be okay, but if you want to do a lot of deals and you really want to build some serious wealth, you need a team of people. Uh, yeah, I think I think the quote is, if you want to go fast, run alone. If you want to go far, run together. Love it. Exactly. That the one exactly. You're for? That's exactly it. I was missing the fast piece. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I started out alone and I built up a, a bunch of properties. Um, I think I ended up with something like 47 or 37 doors nice. across 11 different properties. And, you know, I was feeling good, pretty good about myself, but then I was looking at people doing syndications and they're like 37 doors. Well, we do 10 times that on one deal. So, <laughs> you know, I was, I was spending my time dealing with, you know, tenants and toilets on 11 different properties. And now, you know, I, I spend similar amounts of time on a 200 unit that I did before on my duplex mm -hmm. and I make a lot more money and, and get, you know, go a lot further have a bigger impact on the 200 unit than on the duplex. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people, um, this, a lot of people think of real estate as passive income and it can be absolutely investing in somebody else's project. Like if I'm an LP in one of your deals, you know, I, I go over the deal. I talk to you, I, I make sure it's the right deal for me and I invest that money and I don't really do anything else past that. But when you have a duplex or a fourplex and, if you need to start there, it's a great place to start. You're doing a lot of work if you're managing it, if you're doing the rehab, even if you're not doing the rehab, it can be a lot of work, but I think there's always a, a right thing for a right person at a right time. And it's important to understand the time demands and what's gonna be right for you. I, I talked to a lot of high net worth people and say, hey, I've got 
200 grand. I want to invest in a, a single family. And I'm like, man, if you were able to save up 200 grand, it might not be the best spot for you. You might be an LP and then you can go do other things and help you make another 200 grand quicker. Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast, wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I, mean, I, I call it semi-passive investing, what I was doing initially, where I would hire a property manager, and so they'd, they'd take care of the day-to-day, -day, mm -hmm. but I was on the phone with them pretty regularly, you know, making decisions about renovations and repairs and, hey, what do we do about this tenant that's gone delinquent? And, uh, and so... It was not an entirely passive experience. It was, like I said, I call it semi-passive and it was taking my time. Mm -hmm. And instead, you know, I, I could have gone fully passive. In fact, I, we're getting maybe a little ahead of the conversation, but this is sort of my, my long-term plan is, I call it my glide path to retirement, is that, you know, if, if and when this ever feels like work, I'll just stop doing active deals. I'll stop being a sponsor mm -hmm. and I'll just be passive. I'll invest in other people's deals. And I know with the syndication model, I really truly can be passive in a way that I couldn't be when I was buying a duplex here and a triplex there. Mm -hmm. You know, I can I can plop a, you know, fifty thousand dollars into somebody else's deal once I've done my due diligence on that individual, on the sponsor, on their deal. And after that, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to worry about it. I know I won't be fielding any phone calls from any property managers. You know, I can I can read their quarterly reports as carefully as I feel like it. Um, and then I can just sit back and, and cash checks. So, you know, yeah. eventually that's the, that's the direction I'll go is I'll just be uh, fully passive. I'm, I'm loving every minute of my active sponsorship deal. So I don't see that happening anytime in the near future, but mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've got that as, as my, my backup, uh, exit plan. And I, I love that because you, you know, and you, you highlighted a good point that I think is also not talked about a lot you're loving every minute of, of what you're doing right now. But I would argue that again, being a, a syndicator or a general partner is, is not passive either, like you just highlighted. So you're out there doing a lot of work to give these opportunities to the limited partners. And everybody looks at, at general partners and say, wow, that must be so great. I'm sure they don't really have to do too much work. I'm calling BS. I know that a lot of general partners do a ton of work. I know you're out there doing lots of work. You're taking lots of risk. You're spending a lot of that money up front to get the deals done. And I think people don't see that so much. They just see that, wow, um, we got this Grant Cardone guy flying around on his jet all the time. Everybody, general, every general partner must just be like that. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic point. And I think it's important to point out, not only is it a lot of work, which you're, you're absolutely right about, but it can be a lot of stress too. Yeah. Um, you know, because everything that can go wrong in a duplex can also go wrong in a, in a larger property. Mm -hmm. And now if something does go wrong, not only is it my money at stake, but it's money of my passive investors who have entrusted it to me. Mm -hmm. And I care very deeply about that. I, I want them to feel comfortable that they trusted me for a good reason that they they made the right decision in trusting me. And so when things go wrong, it's worse than just if things go wrong in, in a duplex and I'm at risk. Now I know that I've put a bunch of other people at risk. So I'm very careful about that. I, I, I'm careful about the deals I get into. But to your point, not only is it a lot of work as an, an active 
sponsor, but it's a lot of, it can be a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah. for me, it's, it's just a great match to what I like. I, I love what things I love about the business. One thing in particular is that I no longer have a boss. I'm, I'm completely in control of, of my day, my schedule, uh, the, th the things I get involved in, the things I, I do on a daily basis. I'm not looking over my shoulder wondering, Hey, am I, am I pleasing this person who is deciding, you know, how much money I'm going to make next year, or even if I'll have a job next year, mm -hmm. I don't have to think about those things. It's more, Hey, if I make a decision and I, I work hard and I do well, that's great. It's just going to come right back to me and I can choose, you know, I, I can, I can ramp up the throttle or I can scale back the throttle as, as I please. Um, and I'm not wondering all the time, hey, am I, am I satisfying this, this person who's looking over my shoulder? So really love not having a boss. Um, honestly, I, I like not having employees too. I was a manager for a long time mm -hmm. in my W2 job. <clears throat> and for me, that was actually more stressful than the stress of being a, a sponsor and managing properties and other people's money. <clears throat> I just, you know, it wasn't a good match for my personality in that way. So I really like not having employees and I like not having a boss. Awesome. Yeah. A lot of great things, you know, being a, an active real estate investor does have a lot of benefits over just having a normal job, but it is a little bit of work sometimes. And I, I like to highlight that, you know, if you want to be truly passive, give your money to a, a reputable syndicator and you'll be in a good spot. Yep. So Joel, uh, we really haven't talked about too much of why did you choose to come to Austin and why do you choose to invest in and around Austin? So in hindsight, I'm really glad that we, that my wife and I came to Austin, mm -hmm. uh, but it's kind of funny. What, what happened was um, many years ago, maybe five, six, seven years ago, I decided that I want to get out of California. I want to leave. And I told my wife, because um, I knew she'd be hesitant. Um, so I said, hey, anywhere outside of California that doesn't get real winter, I'm okay with. So, you know, I kind of drew a line across the U.S. and, and you know, between Arizona and Florida, and I said, you pick it, uh, any, anywhere you like. And, uh, and she picked Austin. Um, and so, you know, I, I had a hand in that decision. I, I wasn't quite as passive as I'm making it out to be in this story, but uh, really it was, it was almost like that. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that appealed to us about Austin was it still had that high-tech vibe mm -hmm. uh, since we'd been in Silicon Valley forever and uh, we'd been in high-tech forever. So we liked that aspect of it. But also it's just, it's a thriving place. It's a place where, um, you know, people are moving here left and right. Um, I've, you know, I've compared it to California in the eighties and nineties when I first got to California in the sense that, uh, at that time in California, everybody that I met was from somewhere else. And you can just tell there was this energy about the place because people were coming here for opportunities, for jobs, um, you know, just cause things were happening and that's much less true of California. Now it's very difficult to move there because of the cost of living, but also because, they just aren't the jobs engine that they used to be. And now Austin and other places like Austin, Austin's not the only place, but Austin has, you know, taken that role where there's just a lot of dynamism. There's a lot happening. There's a lot of growth. You know, you drive up down the streets and you're, you're, you're seeing construction sites and cranes and, um, you know, road construction just everywhere. And, and you can tell it's, it's a place that people are destined to and, and people and growing fast and, and so I, I really like it here. You know, I, we were able to get a nice uh, ups, up, upgrade to our lifestyle because housing in California is just absurdly expensive. And so when we sold our house in California, we could buy something much nicer in Austin for a lot less money. 
And, and so the lifestyle upgrade really helped, you know, being able to get a, a bigger house. Uh, but really it was just, I, you know, I was tired of California, the high cost of living, the intense regulations, uh, the, the hostility to business. It was just a really difficult place to, uh, to earn a living and, and make a profit. So really glad I came to Austin. Absolutely. And I like what you're talking about, all the cranes and construction. I've watched Austin grow over the years and just, you know, I remember driving downtown, I think it was around 2016, thinking, well, there's really not a lot of tall buildings downtown. And I drive downtown today and I was like, wow, this is really filling out. You can barely see through the gaps anymore. Just building after building after building and followed by all the cranes of all the new buildings coming up. So there's a tremendous amount of growth here. Yeah, a lot of people are relocating from California. A lot of companies are relocating from California. And I think that will just continue. Um, Joel, what attracted you to multifamily, large multifamily deals? What, what in particular about large multifamily stood out to you compared to, say, buying a, a lot of single families or, or buying triple net? You know, what specific about apartments? Is it for you? Yeah. So when you compare with um, single families or even duplexes, triplexes, quads, um, larger multifamily just scales better. Mm-hmm. You know that you can do uh, roughly similar amounts of work on a 200 unit as you you do on a two unit on a duplex in terms of the you know the effort that it takes to close on a property and even the effort to, that it takes to manage the property. Um, partly because when you get into the larger stuff, you're going to be dealing with more professional actors. The property management companies are just a little more, I don't know, they're, 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 they have more, more together. They understand better how to operate independently as opposed to property managers who deal with single family and duplexes and that stuff. Um, they just, they tend to need a little more guidance. Um, and, you know, you've got, if you've got, let's say, 100 duplexes versus one 200 unit, with the hundred duplexes, you've got a hundred roofs to think about, a hundred water heaters, a hundred, you know, a hundred of everything, and um, that it doesn't scale in the same way because you could potentially be on the phone with your property manager every day for a few hours a day, dealing with all the different things that come up, mm-hmm. as opposed to a two hundred unit apartment complex. You're going to have a property manager with a leasing agent on site, a full time maintenance person, maybe somebody who knows how to you know do some pretty basic renovations. Uh, if something goes wrong with the, with the, the HVAC, they can deal with that. Um, and so it's just a, a level up in terms of the kinds of problems you can deal with. So that's, that's why I prefer a large scale multifamily over a single family. If you compare to other asset classes and commercial real estate, like office or retail um, or industrial, well, multifamily for me is just, it's super simple in terms of the value proposition. Um, everybody needs a place to live and the demand is going to be relatively predictable in the sense of, Hey, you've got, you've got a hundred thousand people moving to an area. You've got a hundred thousand people's worth of housing units that better be there. Mm-hmm. Um, or you're going to have a problem. Whereas with retail and office, it's really hard to predict, especially in the era of COVID when yeah. so many people have shifted to online shopping. And so who knows what the demand for retail is going to be going forward. I'm not saying it won't be there. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it's hard for me to predict in the way that you can predict multifamily. Likewise for office, you know, I, so many people worked from home for two years and we're just now starting to see the end of that. And who knows if we're going to go back to that the next time a flu comes around and, um, you know, 
even the even the, the companies that are going back to office, a lot of them are doing hybrid work weeks. Yeah. And so, you know, two days on and three days off or something, you know, people still working from home. And so I don't know what that's going to do to the demand for office space. Again, I'm not saying I'm that that I that I'm smarter than everybody else and the office is gonna, you know, I have a problem with demand. Maybe it'll be there for all I know, but it's just harder for me to predict. Sure. Given that I feel more comfortable in multifamily. Well, and I think, you know, back to office too, you don't know if let's say a company of a thousand people in Austin needs an office space, but each each division is only coming in for two days a week. So maybe they don't really need office space for a thousand people. They need office space for 400 or 500. And that it's just going to change. And we don't know. I love what you said there. You just can't predict it. You know, people need a place to live. You can't really disrupt that. You can't take that online. Um, of yeah. Course. And if anything, you know, the, the era of working from home has created a boost in demand for housing in the sense that now, you know, everybody needs a, an extra room, everybody needs a den mm -hmm. to go work in. And so, you know, whoever was comfortable in a one bedroom, now they need a two bedroom. And, you know, if before they needed a two bedroom, now they need a, maybe a three bedroom or even a house. And so that that's, I think that's part of what's fueled the, the boom that we've seen in housing prices is, um, you know, a lot of people I think are upgrading in terms of the space they need. Yeah, I wonder if we'll see more of and I'm sure you've seen some of them, the one bed with den apartment units or the two bed with den, and the, the den is going to be a, a small workspace that people need to work from home. Yeah. Um, I only think personally, and again, we never know, I just think the work from home thing is going to get more and more and more exacerbated over time. At the same time, how, at what point in time does everybody go to a four-day work week that can? where, hey, people are going to be home more and they're going to need more space to spread out and relax. And yeah, I think that there's only good things for housing, probably a difficult time ahead for retail and office, but we've had a couple of years of difficult times for them already. Yeah, well, and, and another thing that's going to be a wrinkle is with work from home, you've decoupled location. So yeah. now I can, I can have a job in California and live in Austin. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's, are people still going to want to be in high cost places as much, or are they going to exercise that option to say, Hey, I don't have to be in New York, LA, San Francisco. I can be hundred miles away. I can be 500 miles away, still get my job done because everything's over the internet, but now I can, you know, have a different lifestyle because I can live in a much lower cost environment. Oh, I'm hiring right now and I'm hiring for an operations coordinator for our team here in Austin. We're getting tons of applications because the, the position's only in the week three, sorry, only in the office three days a week max. Uh, people are willing to drive an hour or so to get to that three days a week and get paid more in Austin than they might in Killeen or Temple, one of those places. And I'm telling everybody that I talk to, hey, if you need to take a month or two and work remote, maybe you're going to see family, you're going to do this and that, I'm 100% okay with that as long as you're getting your work done. I think mm -hmm. that's just going to be more and more the norm of, hey, I live an hour away. I drive into the office two days a week. Yeah, it's a pain those two days a week, but I'm paying 50% less for rent an hour away than I have to pay to be 15 minutes from downtown Austin. Yeah, or, or conversely, I get a place that's 50% bigger. So yeah. I can spread out, I can have my dog in a yard, et cetera. So yeah, it's a it's a lifestyle choice. Yeah, love it. Um, Joel, 
for people listening who are interested in passive investing, I'd love to hear more about how do you vet a sponsor that you're looking at? So when you were doing a lot more passive investing, what were you doing to vet the sponsor and, and maybe vet the deal when you're looking at a passive investment? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, in some cases, I would actually talk to the sponsor at some length um, and you know get a sense of what their investing philosophy is and how, what kind of assumptions they're making as they're evaluating a deal. Um, you know, the assumptions are absolutely essential in terms of uh, putting together underwriting. Um, they can really have a profound effect on how good a deal looks if you make more or less optimistic assumptions. So that's important. I also look at track record and what is what has that operator done before? Um, and not just what have they done, but is what they've done relevant to what they're attempting to do in the deal that I'm looking at? You know, if somebody has a lot, a ton of experience, let's say in uh, self-storage facilities, and now they're about to do, I don't know, an industrial warehouse. Um, that's a that's a new asset class for them. And that's different from somebody who's done half a dozen self-storage facilities and is doing the next one, another self-storage facility. So the 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 length of, and breadth of experience and also the relevance, relevance of the experience is important. Um, but uh, I, I think What's most important is just if, if I feel comf confident that I can trust the individual behind the deal, that's really essential. Uh, so that's, I would call that maybe two thirds of my due diligence is uh, making sure that I, I trust and, and believe that the sponsor knows what they're doing and, and can manage the, the project. Um, the other third is I'll, I will look at the deal itself. I'll look at the property. Um, I look at the market and the neighborhood that it's in, uh, especially if I'm doing a passive deal in a multifamily, I'd like to make sure that the value add um, strategy makes sense. Mm -hmm. That if they're coming in and saying, hey, we're going to renovate this property and we're going to bring rents from you know X to Y, is that realistic? Or is, is it in a neighborhood that's gonna, that can afford the new rents that they pr they're proposing to, to charge? And, is it a neighborhood that will pay for the value they're bringing? You know, some neighborhoods, the kind of tenants they're going to get are never going to pay enough to make it worthwhile putting in stainless appliances, granite countertops, uh, high-end plumbing and lighting fixtures. Those things are expensive and you need to have tenants who have some income that can afford that kind, those kinds of upgrades. And so you need to make sure that the strategy matches the neighborhood and the tenant base that the, the property is likely to get. So those are the things I look at on the property side. Uh, but like I said, I, it's two thirds on the sponsor and one third on the, on the property and the deal. Um, as the saying goes, you know, you bet on the, on the jockey rather than the horse. So bet on the, on the sponsor in that sense. Uh, but you know, you want to make sure that the horse is capable of running. Yeah. I, that's a very similar way that I look at it. I would say I'm, I am most aggressive on the sponsor, but then when I'm looking at the property, you know, similar to you, do, do I think the, the juice is worth the squeeze? Like what they're going in, what they're going to do is, is that, is that worth doing? And are you going to get what you think out of it? I've seen a lot of deals. So people I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. Um, people send me deals in Louisville all the time and they say, Hey, this person's saying they're going to do this and they're going to jack the rent up to here and they're going to build back water. 
And in all this stuff, it sounds great on paper, but knowing those neighborhoods, and, and I own a lot of property in those neighborhoods, my first reaction is, I don't think you can do that. You know, on, let's say C-class deals, C-minus deals, or C-class deals, sometimes you can't bill back the water to those people. They're used to all bills paid, or they're used to paying maybe electric and gas. And you can't raise the rents that high in those areas because people that are willing to live there just can't afford it. Um, mm -hmm. There's so much you really need to, I think it, it helps to have a little bit of market knowledge when you're looking at at properties too. Um, I, I agree with you, but on the other hand, as a passive investor, a lot of passive investors don't want to develop that knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it's essential to find a sponsor that you can trust. Yeah. Is, is because, you know, if I would consider an investment in Louisville, but I have no idea what Louisville neighbors are like, like, like yeah. you do. And so I would have to trust you or whoever's operating that property mm -hmm. to be making those decisions of, Hey, I, this in fact is a property in a, in a neighborhood that can support the business plan we have. And, and I'm not, I'm not going to go in and do the research. If, if I'm truly a passive investor, um, you know, I'd, I'd rather spend my time doing other stuff. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so it's, it's just so important to find a sponsor you can trust, mm -hmm. you, you can believe if they say, yeah, this neighborhood will support our business plan. Yeah. In fact, the neighborhood will support the business plan. Well, I, I love, trust and has a track record too, you know, so they can say, Hey, we did this on a property a couple miles away. So we know it can be done. We've done it on multiple other properties and in other areas. And you trust the person because they've done it before and because they're the generally trustworthy person. And, and just to bring the conversation full circle, that's, I think another reason why partnering up as an active investor is valuable is okay. Suppose I don't have that track record or I don't have that local market knowledge. I go partner up with somebody who does have the track record and the market knowledge. And now we have a combined, you, you could call it a resume or, a, you know, a skill set and knowledge base that, that makes sense. So now I can present the deal to my investors and they don't have to just look at me and say, what does, what does Joel know about Louisville? For example, mm -hmm. now they can say, what do, what do Joel and his partners know about this property, this market? And so I'm kind of borrowing the credibility of my partners in helping to put the deal together. And so that's another benefit that partnering up can bring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you don't need to know everything. You just need to have somebody around that knows that specific thing. So really important to have the right partners. Um, what's one thing you'd tell a newer investor that's looking to be a, an LP or a, a passive investor in somebody else's deal? Have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community. And now you can join. GoBundance.com slash emerge. GoBundance.com slash emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole-life millionaire. Um, so... I like to make sure that they understand the negatives about what they're about to get into mm -hmm. um, because that's really essential. It's, a, it's important that they know that, for example, it's a, it's an illiquid investment. When you're an LP, when you're a, a passive investor in a syndication, it's not liquid. You, you sink that money in, it's not coming out until several years later and you don't have the ability to influence when that happens. The sponsor is going to have their, their business plan, and stuff's going to happen along the way to affect that business plan. 
So they may be aiming for three to five years and maybe it'll take three and maybe it'll take seven. You just, you don't know going in and you can't control that. You have to trust the sponsor, not only to do the business plan well, but to, to, to make those decisions and to, to bring the, the deal around to closure in timely fashion. So it's important for, for me to make sure investors understand that it's illiquid. Um, the other thing is to make sure they understand that it's, it's not risk-free. These, these investments do have risks. When they go well, they pay off quite well, uh, but they don't all go well. And you know, the risks are, are many. You know, and and you know, as a passive investor, you're gonna get some paperwork that outlines the risks. It's gonna have a nice long list of those risks. And the risks are anything from you know, the property itself to the market, to the overall economy, uh, to you know, whether the sponsor is gonna do something inappropriate with the money. I mean, all those risks exist. And so as a passive investor, it's important to understand you're not buying a, a T-bill, you're not buying a, a guaranteed, you know, X percent return on your investment. You're diversifying your portfolio, you're investing in something that has a lot of potential and, and can do well, uh, but then again, maybe it won't do well. And, and so, you know, you shouldn't use money that you're counting on for, for groceries next month or even a, a college education in a year because like I said, it's illiquid and there's risks to it. But as an element in a diversified portfolio, if it's money that, um, that you could potentially afford to lose, uh, obviously nobody wants to lose money, but if that wouldn't break the bank for you, then it's a great opportunity. It's a great way to get into a, an investment class that can pay off well. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think uh, I've, I've read so many of those pieces of, hey, don't invest this money if you can't lose it. And I think that's the the number one thing to pay attention to. The, no investment is a good investment if you you can't bear to lose the money, unless it's something, you know, like a a treasury bond. But if you're willing to get what was it two percent today on your money, if that, yeah, if yeah, if that, um, you're and, not, and even even more than that, even if you can afford to lose it, mm -hmm. but it would stress you out to think about losing it. Mm -hmm. Again, that's probably not a good fit for you. You know, it's you have to have the the right um, approach and attitude about your investments to say, okay, I'm I'm going to leave this investment in place. I'm okay learning, you know, occasional updates, maybe once a month, maybe even once a quarter, mm -hmm. about what's happening with it. But otherwise, I I'm okay not you know being in the weeds on a daily basis, knowing what's happening with this investment. If you're not, if that's not something you can be comfortable with, again, passive investing in syndications might not be for you. And I, I would say even further, if you really want to build wealth, you're going to have to get comfortable with the risk. Is there anything that you've done to get comfortable with risk? I think myself, um, I've just always been comfortable that I have multiple different investments. And if any one investment goes wrong, it doesn't take the whole thing out. But for you, and that wasn't the case in the beginning for me, but for you, is there anything you've done to be able to get comfortable with risk? Yeah, I, th I think, um, you know, you kind of, you touched on the concept of diversification without, you know, really saying that word, but that's really the essential concept is um, diversify. So, uh, for example, we, we haven't talked about this, but I'm, I'm a passive investor now in about 30 deals. Mm. And the deals I'm in are uh, spread across, I think I'm up to eight states now. And so I'm, I'm diversified across geographies, across different syndicators, across asset classes, you know, I'm not only in multifamily on the passive side, I'm also in some senior living, uh, some biotech research labs, 
I think I'm in a couple of hotels and a, and a high rise. And so I, I you know, on, my, on the passive side, I've spread my investments across many different dimensions to diversify so that if any one investment does poorly, um, the others hopefully will make up for that. Uh, and so, you know, that's, that's another element of what I suggest to people who are looking at this sort of investment is, you know, make sure you're diversified in a way that um, helps you uh, balance the risks of any one investment. Smart. Yeah, very smart. So Joel, what's next for you? What are your long-term goals? Or what's your vision for real estate? You know, you moved to Austin five years ago or so, and you've done really well here. You're doing a lot of really cool stuff. Um, you've scaled your portfolio rather rapidly from, from getting started investing in single families and starting to do some passive investments. And now you're working as a GP and have been for quite a while. What's, mm -hmm. what's next for you? So two of my seven deals so far now are ground up development. Oh. I've got a 20 acre uh, piece of property that we're in the process of trying to put townhomes on to like 200 and some townhomes. Wow. Uh, also have a 10 acre parcel just next to the Tesla factory <laughs> where we're aiming for a 256 unit apartment building. Um, so those are, that's, that's another, I think, dimension of the real estate business is ground up development. And uh, so I'm really liking that. Uh, the folks that I'm partnering up with on those two deals, we're interested in doing subdivisions where we take a piece of land, we subdivide it legally, maybe we put in some roads and utilities, and then we sell off the lots to builders. So we don't actually build anything other than the roads. We let other people do the building. And that way we're in and out relatively quickly. The numbers on that look pretty promising. And um, my partners have done that in the past. So that's something we're aiming to do next is uh, some kind of subdivision development. <clears throat> Beyond that, you know, I don't really, I don't set like annual or, or you know, five-year goals to, in terms of some number of doors or some number of, you know, dollars on assets under management. I just, I, I love doing deals. And so I'm just going to keep doing one deal at a time when a new deal comes up that I feel like I can add value to. I'm going to jump into it and add as much value as I can. <clears throat> and then like we talked about earlier, you know, my, my long-term glide path to retirement is, you know, someday this, this, I'll get tired of it or it'll start to feel like work. And then I'll just go passive and I'll stop, I'll stop pursuing deals on my own. I'll stop, you know, pursuing active roles and I'll just go passive. Yeah. And I know, I know a few fully passive investors and that's a pretty sweet lifestyle. You don't have any, anything at any time you really have to care about. I know, the first guy I met who was a big passive investor, he considered his job essentially planning out their travel. So nice. Rough life. And, and, I, and I can imagine someday I might be in that mind space, but right now I feel like that would be just a crazy boring life for me. Yeah. I'm loving doing the, the deals actively. And so, like I said, as long as I keep enjoying it, I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, someday I, maybe I'll be in a different mind space or, you know, different physical capacity. And, and at that point I'll, I'll be passive and I'll, you know, I'll spend my time in differently. Yeah, absolutely. Joel, what is your favorite business or mindset book you like to recommend to people? Oh, mindset book. Well, actually I have a whole list of books that I recommend to people on my website. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of the, <clears throat> the best mindset book. It's probably uh, the one that everybody talks about rich dad, poor dad. Mm. Um, that's a phenomenal one for folks who aren't quite sure what this is all about and <clears throat> maybe how they can, somehow bring an investment strategy to bear on their financial picture. So that's, that's a great one. 
Um, but yeah, people go to my website, lakelineproperties.com. Um, one of the tabs is educational resources. Go there and, and you'll see a whole list of podcasts and books that I recommend <clears throat> for people who are getting into the space. Awesome. And we'll have that in the show notes for everybody too, the link to Joel's website. Um, speaking of, how's the, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you, Joel? <clears throat> so email works great. My email address is joel at lakelineproperties.com. That's L-A-K-E-L-I-N-E properties.com. Um, they can also go to my website and there's a contact form there that will automatically send me an email. So those two ways are great. Great ways to get a hold of me. Awesome. And last question we've got here for you today, Joel. Most important question we ask on this episode here. What is your favorite restaurant in Austin? So there's a great Vietnamese restaurant that makes excellent pho. That's a, a Vietnamese beef broth that, I, that my wife and I really love. It's called Tan Mi, T-A-N-M-Y. It's uh, uh, off of 183 at Olin, O-H-L-E-N. Okay. Um, a pretty small restaurant. I wouldn't quite call it a hole in the wall. It's it's not like it's run down or anything, but it isn't very visible. Uh, you kind of have to know you're going to it. You're not going to stumble across it. <clears throat> but it's it's got really fantastic food. Do you think you need reservations for that? No, it's a it's a walk in. We we usually do takeout. Okay. I, and in fact, it's almost a Tuesday tradition. We go. I go to a meetup not far from there uh, on Tuesday at lunch. And then after lunch, I swing by time me to bring home dinner for my wife and me. That's awesome. I think I will go there tonight. I'm feeling a little stuffed up and some pho sounds really good. Oh, and one other thing I want to mention before we close out, <clears throat> I also run a meetup in Austin. So anybody in Austin who is interested in learning about multifamily investing or commercial real estate is welcome to come. We run uh, uh, first Monday of the month in the evening at 630 um, at uh, Casa Chapala restaurant. So welcome anybody last uh last week we had a, our meetup we had 78 people there so wow really a phenomenal event mostly networking with a little bit of education and uh people really seem to like that format so lots of relationships being built there lots of people uh getting to know one another uh, i'm hoping some some deals will emerge from that meetup but uh really have a, have a great time running that meetup helping to bring some education to people Awesome. And Joel is, is usually at the commercial investors lunch on Tuesday, also at Casa Chapala at mm -hmm. 1145. So check out Joel's meetup. Same place, Monday nights at 630. So that's once a month, Joel? Yeah, first Monday of the month. So um, yeah, our first Monday. And occasionally the first Monday will be a holiday, in which case we'll move to the next Monday. Okay. Uh, but otherwise, it's first Monday. And can people find that on Meetup? Yep, on meetup.com. It's called Multifamily Investor Nation. We're the Austin chapter of that. Uh, it's a it's a network of meetups that meets across the country, and uh, so Austin is one of the places where we meet in person. Okay, and we'll put all that in the show notes for everybody too. Joel, thank you so much for coming on here today. I appreciate you taking the time. I can't wait to see you next week in person too. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Jordan. Yeah, have a great day. Thanks. <laughs>